podcast. Welcome. It's Silverstations number 12. It's our weekly podcast where we try to bring more courage, compassion, and wonder into the world by holding space and having conversations. Um, and we're also a connection building card game that tries to do the same in a way where you can do that with loved ones and friends in intimate space. And this week's guest is a very, very, very wonderful person, Gallery Darabi, who is a homie of the community, of the EX community, um, and someone who I find super fascinating, um, whose energy is always super grounded, super wise, super confident. Um, when I meet and chat with Gallery, and um, just to kind of give background, the way that I came to meet Gallery was through our friend Jordan, um, who actually met Gallery on a very happenstance chance. Some would say it's not happenstance and not chance. It actually meant to be um, on the playa in Burning Man, at Burning Man, where I think Jordan was just sitting out on her own. And Gallery approached and kicked off a friendship. And they were connected, and they're both very powerful storytellers um gallery is a multi-media journalist covering um many different topics and i think recently these days it's her work has really become centered around earth and um stories around the environment and science and she does uh, wonderful deep research um does explainer videos where she really breaks concepts down and I really love seeing her travel to other countries or to other places and see how she connects with um, the locals, the natives, the indigenous, um, and the care and, and which she does to build that. And then Jordan on the flip side is a very powerful filmmaker, documentarian, director, visionary. So those two meeting was definitely not happenstance chance now that we break it down, but um, two souls that are in pursuit to have strong visions that have compassionate hearts um, that are very loving. And so um, we'll have Jordan on eventually. We're going to have you on here, Jordan. Um, but with Gallery, I wanted to just sit down and learn more about her experience. And, you know, for me, the concept of really connecting with folks and, and the common threads of how we connect and how people are connected and how we build trust and how we build relations and how that opens up the world. Um, I want to learn more about G's influences uh, from her experiences and um, her background is very interesting. I'll, I'll let you uh, hear from her, but her, her just, just to make it a quick um, intro, her family actually came over from Iran, um, fled around the time of the revolution and um, they went into Canada and that actually has a lot of bearing on the, the influences of who she is and how she's come to find the power of storytelling and reporting. And so, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much more because G is, you'll see, just a powerhouse, um, so wise, very in command of her spirit and her understanding. And towards the end, she turned on her, she she had her, just the that, that really listening and connecting skill going and Someone was interviewing me, and so I really got a lot of this out of at the end, and it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, 
We wanted to keep it COVID safe, so we did it over Zoom. So you'll hear the audio kind of go back and forth, back and forth, but hey, we're making it work, and this is kind of the space, and just thanks to you, G, for being so gracious with your time, and you have so many projects going on. Um, but yeah, check out the conversation. Enjoy it. You're going to learn a lot from G. Take care, y'all. Thanks, G. Thank you for humming on. So I just like want to start with why I appreciate you and at least like how I've come to know you. And obviously today is an awesome opportunity because I'm looking so much forward to learning more about you is, um, you know, we've met via another just powerful, powerful person in Jordan and someone, someone who will probably be on Silver Stations too in the near future. Who, who, yeah, who will be for sure. Um, and just, I think the one thing that I really admire about you, there's always been in all of my interactions with you and the way that you, we just pass each other and the, and that energy is there's a groundedness to you. And there's, there's a, a confidence or an understanding that things are working for you. And like you were just saying before I started pressing record that, you know, the unknown is what you're creating and you're manifesting. And I, I feel that energy from you. So whenever I talk to you and I know that I get to share with you about what's going on in my life or a moment we're sharing or an experience or a space that we're sharing, I'm going to leave feeling very confident because there's like an affirmation, right? And there's a space. And I think in also how I get to be a fan of yours in the work that you do as a journalist, as a correspondent and the stories that you get to tell, like I'm utterly fascinated with that. And I have my own questions for that, uh, obviously, but I think even the grace with which and the compassion in which you tell stories and how you connect with people and how this work is not easy and you're putting your life um, into it and still you center other people's stories or you center other things like that right there for me is like, I admire that so much and I have so much love for that and that space and that work. And I just really hope that this conversation, I can learn more about like where that has um, built for you and where you've cultivated um, that and where the influences are in your life. Oh, thank you, Ray. That's amazing. It's so nice to just sort of sit back and play the movie of my life in my mind through your introduction and your storytelling it's it's a pause it's a moment that we never take to kind of reflect on like what it took to get here what mm -hmm. we sacrificed what we dreamt for what we achieved like it's so nice to just take that moment yeah i mean yeah i i this is like for me that's what i love to hear because i want to see like the threads of like what is little g where did little g like little baby kid g go that like led to the to the aspects that have like created you or cultivated you to this day Totally. Little G is still little G. I just, I never really got yeah, any yeah. taller. It's really just like, <laughs> still little G over here, but with a big personality, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. And a lot have of you, ambition. Have you always had the love, like, what is your love for like, sto for story or, or like, whether that's reporting truth or reporting these things? Has it, have you always been curious? Have you always had a heart for that? It, it kind of came out of, a need for attention in my family. You know, my family immigrated from Iran to Canada and that was a really arduous and 
tough journey and we were really in survival mode those early formative years of my life and I wasn't able to capture the attention of my parents who were busy working night shifts and two jobs and coming and going like ships in the night just to put food on the table, just to learn the language, just to get established in a totally foreign country. And something I noticed was that when I told stories, often they weren't true, <laughs> about a certain Farsi school teacher that we had, that I had, they used to send me to Farsi school. When I would come home from that lesson and I would make up stories about this wild teacher who would take us on these wild journeys, that was the only time I could get their attention. So I understood that storytelling had a powerful currency for captivating an audience. I needed my parents' attention. I needed their focus and their love. And that was my way of getting their attention. Um, you know, they always say you shouldn't eat dinner in front of the television, but we used to eat our dinner in front of the TV, but it was always the six o'clock news. And I noticed my father loved all the correspondence on the CBC, the Canadian National Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, and he picked out this one journalist named Adrian Arsenault, who is an icon, a legend in Canadian journalism and world journalism. And he would always just say that, Adrian Arsenault, she's a really good reporter. And well, I really wanted my dad's attention. So I started announcing her out loud, well, that's what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. And that got him to lean in and say, oh, that would be a great profession. That's, that's interesting. And um, when I got my dad's attention, that felt really good. That filled my cup. So it came out of a lack, but mm-hmm. I also created a sense of purpose. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's really fascinating that that happened. Like the way that you phrase that, that that came from a lack, but that it created that. Did that really like change the like aspect of your relationship with your dad or is it more like, did you all become closer or what, what happened with that dynamic? It just, uh, it gave me a North star and mm-hmm. it turned into like a life path for me, sort of like how a, a young athlete might find a gift, you know, like at a young age, they realize like they can run, they can shoot hoops really well. They can kick that ball really far. It was like, I can tell a story. And if I can capture my dad's attention and his, you know, complete, like you really like capture him, even though he's he's exhausted, he's working a job that he's way, way, way more educated than, you know, he's like really struggling to learn the language and trying to put food on the table. But if this tired man who's doing his best to keep this family going can take five minutes to listen to this story or to listen to this performance that I'm going to put on, then I wonder who else I can captivate. Mm. that's funny that you said that at a young age you started you were manifesting already that this is what i'm going to be you've been practicing it for yeah and then i would lock myself into the bathroom with the hairbrush and just talk into the mirror all all night long wow so it really was like when you it really drew you in at a young age and you stayed with it that that aspect of it yeah i stubbornly held on it uh it was the first bit of like positive reinforcement i got from something that I did, I was kind of really awkward and shy and I was just a little weirdo, you know, <laughs> like just yeah, yeah. nerdy and, and, and not great at um, socializing and sp- I wasn't great at sports. I wasn't great at any particular subject. So this was just the first time that I really was shining at anything. And so yeah. I held on to that for dear life. Yeah. Do you, do you think 
that the the background of your family has really factored into the way that you've learned and grown as a storyteller? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, being taken out of the land that you were supposed to be indigenous uh, to, you know, mm-hmm. the, the land never being given the chance to be indigenous to a land, you know, and being forced to migrate, being forced to uh, leave your land and to find home and community and um, a sense of belonging in a different land has completely driven my storytelling and really opened my eyes out up to the type of stories I want to tell. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, what was that like for you? What were some of those as a young kid? And like, what do you remember from Iran before coming? And then, what what was that transition like? Do you have specific memories? I mean, I was five months old. Oh, okay. When so I left, were, oh, I was just bundled up, you know, I know there was yeah. a lot of worry around leaving. There was the revolution happening. My father was in the Navy under the Shah, under the old regime. So we literally left the country in a, in a, in a very sort of, oh man, like a real like good luck on our side, this real sort of risk yeah. that we took to leave at a time when the country was really shut down. Um, and I'm really sort of now studying epigenetics and how those formative years from zero to seven, and I'm sure you can tell me a lot as an educator, like how they form the adult that we are today. And yeah. 2020 has really forced me to look back at my own epigenetics and, yeah. you know, leaving, escaping a country to find freedom, uh, and taking great risks and how that's turned me into the person that I am today. Yeah. Yeah, what have you what have you what have you learned about that in in those formative years for yourself? I, I learned that there's certain um, traits that I picked up as a baby that were part of my survival, and one of them was to be a chameleon, to be incredibly mm-hmm. adaptable and smiley and happy. You know, my mom used to always say, "You were the easiest baby. You were so smiley and happy. You made." this really terrifying journey so much easier for us. You kept quiet, you just smiled, you laughed, you giggled, like you, you, you didn't ever cry or throw a fit. And that helped us make this journey. But now as an adult, I'm creating space for myself to not always like smile and be happy and nod and actually throw the tantrums and express my emotions because I don't really have to be a chameleon anymore. I'm safe now. And so that's a really interesting breakthrough that I'm starting to have. Whoa, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, as an educator, it's really fascinating because we grow even just like as I've gone through my own years of like making my own decisions and, you know, the narratives that we say about our decision making or what we think we're doing in that moment. And then as you get older, you're able to actually attribute certain things to the way that you were raised or the experiences that you have, the culture that you have or the traumas that you have. And they're linked to the way that you make decisions or they shape your character. That's yeah. Like for me, it's for me, I'm really stepping in one thing that's like just stepping in as I'm older is I would always defer. I'm, I've been very used to deferring my whole life, whether that's like being the youngest in my family or just coming from a culture where the respect of your elders or I grew up in the Bay Area in like San Francisco Bay Area and it was um, very diverse, but then very specifically like in the city I grew up in, it was very Filipino American and in that concentrated area. So even my concept of um, like what it means to be American or what it means to be Filipino American, I realized as I left like, whoa, this, 
there's so many different aspects of the way that I viewed myself because of the bubbles that I was in, because of the culture that I was raised, because of my place and my family. And, um, yeah, I think that's beautiful in older age to be able to kind of like untangle that and kind of pull those apart and, and then just love yourself for it. Yeah. And to embrace the trauma and to not be ashamed of it and to, to look at it, really look at it and look at how you can live symbiotically with it as part of your narrative be aware that it may trigger you in certain situations it may empower you in certain situations but it is part of who you are at the end of the day and yeah. hiding it is it isn't going to help yeah do you this brings me to a question like do you have like a specific um piece or story that you've done that was linked to something very tied to your own personal experience that stands out yeah, I mean, I, I returned to Iran and to make a documentary about the water crisis. The, not just Iran, but the entire region is running out of water and it's terrifying. Um, the impact that it's having on people and um, the danger that it's putting people in for future generations. So to return to the land that we had escaped from, yeah. to make a film to get government permission to sort of collaborate with a government that I'd always been told is not on my side, um, to make this important science and environment film was probably one of my biggest challenges. Uh, but I was, I was so, I was so amazed by the whole experience. Like, I just can't believe I pulled it off. Um, and I got to road trip around the entire country where I was born with an amazing group of filmmakers and really look at what was happening when a land runs out of water. Yeah. What were, what were some things that were expectations versus the, the experience that stood out to you? I kind of had this like romanticized expectation that I'm like returning to the land that I came yeah. from and I'm going to feel a huge connection mm -hmm. and um, it'll be a real kind of like homecoming for me and, and will almost like fill in that missing piece of the puzzle that's always existed within me. And it didn't, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I didn't actually feel a huge connection to the land and to the culture in ways that I have in, say, Afghanistan or mm. in other parts of the world. And so um, I really had to make peace with that, that I, I yeah. really, it wasn't a huge homecoming. And at the end of the day, I was so grateful that my parents had taken that huge risk to offer mm. me another opportunity. Because when I travel home to Canada, or I'm here on the west coast of North America, I feel I feel at home. I feel a huge connection. Mm. That's fascinating. Because I, I have a very interesting relationship with like being Filipino and the culture, which is um, like I started taking Tagalog lessons during the um, during this shelter in place. And a lot of it, like a lot of my own things with, like with my own culture comes from being the youngest, being the only one born here and then not speaking Tagalog when we grew up. I understand everything, but that doesn't count, right? Like in the family, that doesn't count. That And I think I I carried a lot of shame around not being able to speak. And then in that way, like looking at the culture and the, and the Filipino culture, but like in the way that I experienced it here, never being able to be fully like, that's mine because the narrative is like, I'm not Filipino enough because I don't speak Tagalog. And, I'd, and I think, yeah, for me, that that space of, I romanticized a lot of that, what it meant to be indigenous or what that is, is the motherland and versus like when I took the lessons and the teacher that I have is just very nonchalant. And it's like, oh, you're a person who wants to learn the language. Like, 
yeah and cool like let's dive into it and kind of breaking breaking those concepts of the narrative and um even that concept of like what home is i think that's really fascinating to like what we what we romanticize versus the the what is of our lives as we learn I haven't been since I've been back. Yeah. A few times. I haven't been back since 2010. And so I, I, it's funny. I have this little romanticized thing. Like I'm going to go back and I'm, I'm going to be fluent in Tagalog and I'm going to just be like, own my Filipino-ness. And I think a lot of this, like just with what's been happening in the past months of just the uprisings and things like that is just really ste stepping into like my own knowledge and learning of, um, my own culture and indigenous, indigenous cultures around the world and colonize colonizers and all that history. And that's really helped me find a more grounded space to just live in and be okay with, you know, I am a product of my parents' decision to come over here. And that is a part of my story and I don't have to be a chameleon or I don't have to like contort myself to fit in certain narratives other than these are the pieces of me and I'm going to, I'm going to create from this space and that will be, something original or that will be something built fully genuinely off of my human experience. Yeah. I didn't realize that we kind of share that generation zero, you know, or generation one, but like, you know, the first yeah. ones to come over. I mean, I was born in Iran. You were, you were born in the U S but like your, the rest of your family were, were born in the Philippines and like yeah. for us to occupy that in between space and to mm -hmm. own it and to be okay with it and not to try to contort it into something just because it's more comfortable, I think is an amazing um, space to occupy because the truth of the matter is the way this world is is moving is this this next you know hundred years is is the era of the refugee is the era of mm. the migrant is the era, mm. era of the person who is gonna have to leave their homeland for whatever reasons political environmental um social mm -hmm. you know to be indigenous and to really like live on land that your ancestors occupied and and not occupied but but it enjoyed you know yeah. that's a rare thing so yeah. we are almost in a way creating um the okayness to be mm -hmm. of two lands and to be in the middle i love that i love that in terms of like so i obviously i'm not sure how you view it right i view what you do as obviously reporting but there's like an art to it right there's a there's definitely a gigantic creative space that you live in and i guess i'm just like really wanting to learn more about how you how do you fuse that or how does how does one first even find a space a creative space or a place in the world where the things that you find the most important you're able to just manifest and bring into the world like you you want these stories and and you are able to go to these places create these stories like um what are the practices or the things that you've gone through or done so that you can have that space in your life i think it really clicked for me when i found my north star and for me that's the environment that's the planet that's mm -hmm. mother earth pashamama you know when i clicked like that tectonic plate fell into place that this is my purpose and this is my mission and this is the only story I want to tell in any form possible, that really just gave me a roadmap, a navigation tool for me to really like express myself and dive in and also know what I'm willing to say yes to and what I'm willing to say no to. That, that really was important for me to find that and I felt it inside of me, like the piece yeah. kind of clicked. And, and that's like my tool, you know? So whether I'm 
doing an explainer or a full documentary or just doing an interview or writing an article like that is always my north star like how does this better this planet and and that's really been huge for me yeah do you do you remember when that clicked or when was that and what was that can you set that that time and that place and that experience yeah, like I, I originally sort of thought I wanted to be like a culture reporter, either a fashion or music or, you know, style reporter. I was really drawn to like urban life in New York or London or Paris and, and thought that that's what I wanted to do. But I, I took a job as a, as a researcher and producer at the National Film Board of Canada. It was just when like multimedia storytelling was really coming to the forefront and they wanted me to research the Great Lakes and to create a multimedia experience about the Great Lakes. And I kind of had no direction. It was like, all right, you're gonna do a project on the Great Lakes, make it super interactive and super cool, and you're off, good luck. And at first that was really daunting and really overwhelming, but as I started applying my curiosity and interest and started digging and phoning people up and, and getting to know what was going on, speaking to the researchers, speaking to the activists, speaking to the local community people, I felt this huge sense of purpose and this huge sense of, wow, I am not living in alignment right now and this is the path that I really want to take. Hmm. Hmm. And so once, once that, like you, you stepped into that, was that that concept to you, like, I'm just going to keep stepping into this? Or was there more kind of like life around you unfolding that just kept leading you down that path? Yeah, there was more life and more learning and more bumping my head against walls and, and really like not understanding flow, like really trying to force things to happen that were not meant to happen. And I really had no concept of like working with the flow at that time. Yeah. Um, but through a lot of trial and error and a lot of bumping my head against walls, I ended up in the UK and through happenstance, which happens to me quite often, ended up linking up with this incredible director who was looking for hosts for a new environmental series. And he's like, do you have any experience in environmental reporting? I'm like, well, I did this project on the Great Lakes, which he took a look at. And he's like, that's pretty good reporting. Um, I'm going to put you in touch with the executive producer of this new show and let's see what he thinks. And by the Monday, I, I, I had a job and I was flying off to Senegal to do my first report. That's awesome. That is what, what is like, and this is just me geeking out. Like what are like three things that people might not understand or know, or maybe think of that as a reporter, as a journalist that you really have to be strong at, or you really have to be fine tuned with. I think the big mistake that I used to make in the early part of my career is thinking that I needed to prove myself and to be a know-it-all in the topic that I was covering and really like, you know, I'm a science journalist, so I really need to like really show that I'm smart enough to have this job. It was really when I just started unpeeling that and asking really great questions and creating space, just like you're doing right now, that I became the best sort of like expert and the best conduit for any kind of information to come out and start to flow. So I think the first thing you need to know is it's not about you. It's not about what you know and what you research and what you study. This is not about you. You're a conduit, you're a spotlight. You help the people who don't often get the chance to be in the spotlight to share their story. Um, the second thing I would have to say is you gotta check your sources. You gotta like not accept the first bit of information that's given to you and really look at the motivation and 
the story and really look at a story from all different angles. Yeah. And I guess the third thing I would say, what you, what you really need to be good at to be able to be a journalist is intuition. You've got to follow mm. your gut. Your gut is your best uh, source. Your gut will really tell you who to call, who to believe, who to follow mm-hmm. up with, who to kind of question a little bit deeper. And, and I think that that's probably your best tool, better than any digital yeah. tool. Yeah, how do you deal with the concept of, like, maybe if have you ever, um, and this is like, like just like a very human-to-human thing, like where if your intuition says, like, I need to keep pursuing this, but you maybe there's um, some uncomfortability or there's someone else, that other person that you're trying to connect to isn't feeling it or they're not too sure about it. How do you continue to follow your intuition and work through that? Yeah, I mean, I think space and time, but there's so many different ways to get to know a person outside of just having a straight up conversation. Really, mm-hmm. it's about observing them, digital behavior, um, their, their mannerisms. It's almost the things they don't say. And just watching someone and observing them that you really get the story as opposed to what they're telling you or what the pitch is or what the explanation is. You become very observant and it's the silences, it's the quiet moments, it's the behavior um, that tells a much larger picture. So, and I remember you, you saying this earlier, cause I think it was when you went into the Amazon, it was talking about it and you're like, I'm, I'm just really good at connecting with people and I'm really good at making friends. And I really love just hearing this and seeing that the con like, right. Like I have my own concept of like what a journalist is, right. An embedded journalist. And I'm like, Whoa, it's so badass. And then what I hear you saying is like the human skills and the people skills and the and the intuition and the, this very human thread is what allows you to one like not center it on yourself and then two to to get uh real connections and real stories and and real information and truth essentially the truth and relying a lot upon the the ability to connect with other humans totally and and it's a word the word that comes up for me which is probably something i imagine you must work with as well is trust like, mm-hmm. how do you convince, or, or how do you, it's not so much about convince, but how do you show somebody, demonstrate that they can trust you with their story, yeah. with a conversation, with their point of view, that they can open up to you, that they can really, like, it's, it's a matter of trust. And I think if you can, you know, work with integrity and work with, with strong trust muscle, that's when you yeah. can really, really go deep yeah what are what do how do you how do you build trust how do you like to build trust i like to be transparent even if i don't agree or even if i'm Mm. not going to create like a propaganda ad or like a ad like a commercial for what you're doing if i'm going to question you and if i'm going to really you know rigorously look at what you're doing i'm going to be transparent about that um But at the same time, I'm going to take the time to like learn your story, to ask the questions. It's so interesting during this pandemic, as I've been um, connecting with people, it's really interesting the people who stop and ask, hey, how are you? Are you healthy? How's your family? And those who just sort of keep going as business as usual. I think Mm. it's taking those moments to just really be human and be understanding of what's going on in somebody's life that really shows that, Hey, we're on the same page. We're, 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 you know, we're in this together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, do you think that the world is moving in that direction? Do you think 
out of all this time that that there will be a more focus on being human centered or this this concept of this human to human compassion or taking care of or in what you're seeing or how do you how do you for foresee it because i know that you were also saying it's like going to be the time of the refugee and the migrant also coming how what else do you foresee and like what you're learning about the world well i don't know i don't know about you but i've really been conscious of like my digital communication like even text messages or emails like taking a moment to just weave in that human element like we've all collectively gone through an incredible trauma together this year and as much as I need that hard drive from you or I need you to send me that link, uh, if I don't weave in that element of connection and just compassion and understanding, then I'm really missing something here. So that's conscious communication is something I've been practicing. Like really, hi, how are you? I hope you're safe. I hope you're healthy. Yeah. How, how have you been impacted? Okay, by the way, that hard drive, do you mind sharing it with me? I really yeah. hope that practice doesn't disappear i i'm benefiting from it so much yeah i for me as an educator it's really fascinating because our our role is as human development that's like the name of our role and we're life skills teachers and so we're in this funny kind of like guidance counselor administrator but then we teach a class role and our uh me and alex our jobs have kind of shifted in a space where our life skills are just spaces to hold space for kids and really just check in on them and mold what we're doing to the needs of the kids and it's amazing how much that has shifted our relationships or even shifted the way that kids view us and see us at in our class in that space and it's a hundred percent i i believe in that because the they especially as younger people know there's a lot of talk of like all this technology and they're on class digitally. And then when they get off, they're even more on their um, devices and things like that. But to, to see the way that the kids are honoring the spaces that we have to really check in with each other or, and for them to be checked in on, that's been one of the most profound things for me to experience um, is that kids are coming back to that. Kids are, they're able to discern within everything, this, this wildness that's going on around them. And that, I mean, it's hard for me to conceive and just like, just understanding in my most formative years, I'm completely switching up everything, how I'm doing it. And uh, not even thinking about developmentally, like what these impacts are going to have on the kids, but the fact that they're coming back to this space of, I want to connect. I want to talk. Thank you for caring. And that's really what shining is. Yeah. The conscious communication. I love it. And I absolutely believe in that the those who are practicing it now and have really found a way to to use that in their life like whatever it is moving forward I, th I feel like that that has such a powerful place to create to change to progress and to and to really positively affect lives is there like a particular example of something you observe one of your students saying or writing that made you just really take notice of the shift that happened yeah, uh, there's a been a there's been a there's been a bunch, but we have um, a couple of students. I have a student who just had is very social and just had a rough time. Just had such a rough time into the transition. Um, amazing student in person, um, connects with everybody, does the work because they can really feel the energy of people. And when everything went digital, it just was like a mainframe hardwire crash of just like Z -Z -Z, i don't know how to do this and the social element was taken away and 
you just see kind of everybody like certain kids start thriving because they actually you see that they don't thrive in person but then this new format they're thriving and this one student just she kind of forgot about everything else and then what happened was like suffering from her her like family began then the the family pressures of like not performing in school then the relationship with mom started to started to deteriorate and you know like teachers kind of like everything's done through email and everything's done through so like all that information is being spit into the eye of the needle all this like you're not doing this work your grades are this and this and it just builds this pressure and for me to be able to do parent teacher conferences and to call just do a call with the family and mom and her daughter and dad and really just bring like a human side to it and 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 just say hey we understand and this is what's going on we're all going through this you're all going through this and the, these are the things about your daughter this is what your daughter does really well that is not able right now because the this is what we're going through and um and then we just created walked a back a plan backward to like set time to meet online and we're i'm gonna have the room open you just work just tell me what you want to do i'll do my thing and you work in there and if you have any questions like do that and just and she was in a pretty tough space rough spot and i think just creating that space and kind of being able to pop the balloon for her and her family and she's just been showing up to every single one of our work sessions and she's really like catching up with the work like she's not in bed anymore like her hair is fixed yeah <laughs> and there's like a space of like good morning ray like how are you like yeah i did this and for me that that that's very much the example one of the examples of just how when you just center the person and and it's like you're you know your mom is like crying and mom is like really sad and they're struggling and your and your thing is just how do I how can I help this family in whatever I have to offer in this limited way or what I can and it feels good it feels good to empty it out and be like this is what I can do and to to see when you give all of that that it has an effect and I think yeah and that for me is like if you can do that for a family digitally you know and then you know what else can we do in in these lives and in, in, in our life that is in different sectors of the world or in different different places that we live and exist. Yeah, wow, what a time to be a kid, eh? You know, yeah. I, I can't, that's something I observe and think about a lot. Um, the playground by my house, it opened momentarily and the sound of the kids just playing their guts out and having the time of their life just filled me with so much happiness and it's quiet now again as people are back indoors and, and, you know, um, not allowed to use the, the, the public facilities. And it's just like, I think about that so much, like what a time to be a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just even thinking about that, it, that's also like a big compassion builder of thinking about what, what were the freedoms like we were, we were doing in high school. Like I think about the kids that are in high school. What is that experience? Like these, these things that you're, you're in this age of, I want freedom and I have autonomy. I'm making choices. I'm maturing. Like I have all these things, but it's, it's just kind of like the genie is in the bottle kind of, it's just like locked up. And how do we, how do we help? Or how do, how do we, you know, those things that they're, they're going to be locked in, whether that's that trauma is going to get locked in or, or that unexpressed expression or these gifts that they're not able to practice whether that's like physical physical gifts like sports or like playing music or socializing and learning those lessons um 
that's something I think about a lot of, of how do we care for that after all this. Oh my gosh, the pressure cooker of being a teenager. What kind of teenager were you? I was, um, yeah, uh, man, it's funny. I was, um, I was like part of a crew at school because I had my older godbrother and then I had a lot of friends my age, but I didn't have any of my friends go to high school with me. So I was like part of the crew, had my own thing, but then I was also like, would say yes and would do things to get kicks out of the crew. So I was, uh, I, I got into some, like, I wouldn't say troublemaker, but I was definitely like up to hijinks and could have been, yeah, could have been more serious about things, but I loved it. I had a great time in high school. How about you? I, why well, I, I remember <laughs> the story you were telling me about you going into other high school. Can you, can you tell that one again? That's such a, that's such a, yeah, so the, the teenage years was when I stopped being the smiley, naughty, accommodating chameleon. And I was just like, I went, the pendulum went the extreme opposite way. And I went all punk rock. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. Mouthing off teachers, like late all the time. Like just really like fully got into like the punk, punk rock lifestyle. And really this, 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 bad side of me came out this prankster this trickster this comedian i mean i'm born here of the monkeys so me and my fellow monkeys were just like causing all kinds of trouble and just dying of laughter i had a six-pack my entire high school <laughs> career because we just laughed so much and i think the teachers were all were all on the verge of just like completely losing their minds because we were so bad but yeah we had this huge rivalry with other high schools and when it was our grad year, there was just like this long history of pulling pranks on each other. But our year, Year of the Monkey, took it to the next level. We just took it too far. And I was part of a big prank where we went to a, like a pet food store where people would buy like insects to feed their lizards. And I bought this huge bag of locusts. And I walked into the rival high school's library Granted, I'd never been there before. I'd never stepped into this high school before. I walk, and I like how the sirens are going off in the background now. It's like adding to the, like, the drama of what a badass I was. I walked into that high school with so much confidence and step like I owned the place. Like I felt like I was in the matrix, and I just like walked in like, oh, yeah, I belong here. Where's the library? Clock it to the left. There we go. Walked right into the library and released the bag of locusts roll over. <laughs> in front of everybody it felt so kind of biblical and so kind of like grand and it's just like I turned around and walked right out of there and this huge egg war broke out on the outside <laughs> and all kinds of pranks I mean we got into so much trouble it was unbelievable yeah do you think yeah do you think that helped you like get it all out of the system like just living living that and expressing that yeah and, and that was a that was a good decade of just like pent-up mm. rage pent-up unexpressed um human you know like yeah. now is not a good time Guillory. it's survival mode now's not the time now's not the time mm. now's not the time and i was like i am owning this space now is my time and i literally exploded with all kinds of like repression and anger and um an understanding of injustices you know and an understanding of you know why people suffer in this world and it just all came out of me but mixed into that like darkness and anger and 
bad behavior was a creative self that also came out. You know, out of this phoenix rising, there was this incredible creative expression that came out of it. You mean, being a prankster has an element of creativity to it, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. all the prank calls we used to do and all the, like, like trouble we used to cause had an element of creativity to it. Now, I work much more with the light now, but at that moment, the dark, the dark forces were really inspiring me to just, you yeah. know, express creativity in any way. Mm. And then how did that, how did that bridge, how did, where did that, for that decade, how did that decade of that move into a, an, another space for you? I really stepped into my purpose through school. So after high school, I was really just like floating around, had no idea what I wanted to do. I moved out really young. I was just like working in shops and like just pretending that I was a much, you know, more mature, older, like together person than I really was. We were just like partying a lot and going out and just like living it up. And um, a lot of my friends were moving on and going to university, leaving the hometown to go to school. And I just still didn't, really didn't know what I wanted to do. Even though at that young age, I totally locked into my purpose. And my best friend at the time said to me like, you know, Gillary, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? I was like, you know, I think I might be an actress or a designer or a journalist or a writer or this or that. And she was like, just pick something that you love and stick with it. And that bit of advice just turned on a light bulb in my head. And I realized, yeah, I love telling stories. I love journalism. Um, I'm going to just apply to the journalism school and see what happens. Um, even though I've got really bad grades from before and a really bad track record and I can barely, you know, like get out of bed at the same time every day and hold a schedule, I'm going to try. And when I got that, yes, that was just like a huge shift for me. It was again, kind of like when my dad recognized something inside of me and gave me attention, mm -hmm. getting that yes, even though I've been told my whole life that you're like, you're messing things up. You're, you're never going to go anywhere. You're just a troublemaker was kind of like the acknowledgement that I needed to be seen. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. At the, at the end, at uh, many of the recognitions of your life, it was feeling seen or feeling heard or feeling acknowledged for something and the power of that. Totally. I, I you know, you, you could say I was at seeking attention with all the bad behavior, right? I just wanted yeah. some form of being heard and being seen. And so to give that to others now as a journalist, like I see you, I hear you, I want to know your story. Mm. Like yeah. that's kind of the biggest gift because I'm starting to give it to myself. Mm, that's so powerful. Yeah, that, that concept of like going back to the number one thing, it's not about you. Where a lot of this as a child to like going into school of journalism was about being seen or being heard. Where now when you're able to like give that for yourself, you're able to fill your cup then it becomes like, how do I outwardly share this and give this platform or create this, create this story or, or this space for other people to be heard and to be seen and like that service. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a huge breakthrough because ultimately if you don't fill that cup and if you go and work in this public space, um, just to be seen, just to be heard, just because you never got that when you were growing up. Um, there's a lackingness to your storytelling. There's a, mm -hmm. there's something mm -hmm. missing to your pieces and, and seeing that shift in my own work in these past few years 
has been huge and I'm starting to get like such incredible feedback and it's, you can't quite put your finger on it, but if I let you in on the secret, it's like I'm healing myself and I'm seeing myself and I'm listening mm-hmm. to myself and that's, that's what you're noticing different in my work. Wow. Yes. I love that. I love that. And yeah, that, that, that concept of, um, just as you like evolve, like how do you, how do you continue to see, obviously you're in it and you're in your healing. How, if you were to, um, take a look at how you would like to evolve or, or those things that you have in the future for you, what do you, what do you dream or what do you aspire? What do you envision for yourself? I just, I just want to keep blossoming in the way that I am and continue healing and, and, and cultivating incredible relationships, you know, based on trust, based on respect, based on symbiosis. That's been the big word of the year for me is really working with symbiosis. So that's like a real regenerative give and take balanced organic form of being. And that's something I'm applying to all of my relationships all of my projects, all of my collaborations, like if I'm feeling out of balance, I stop and I check in, like, is this symbiotic? Is this relationship symbiotic? Is this um, piece of work that I'm doing, is it symbiotic? Um, Is what I'm taking from the environment right now, is there a chance for me Mm -hmm. to regenerate? And that's, that's a really nice concept that I'm, that I'm really loving exploring. Yeah. I love the idea of applying it to light. It's just living away living away and applying that to whether that's your work, your relationships, your relationship to the earth, your relationships to yourself. Like that's a beautiful place to be, right? I think living in a capitalist world, you know, that those concepts of what is the, what is a transaction or does it make sense? Is this, does this make sense for your life? Is this going to put you in this position? Are you sure you want to make that move versus I'm living this and I'm cultivating this and I'm feeding this in my life and to all those around me. And that's going to plant the garden in which I'm just going to continue to exist and live and to serve and to share stories. Totally. Cause like we innately know when we're out of balance, like, you know, when you're, you're something's not right, you know, and it's this whole year is because we were living out of balance. You know, this whole pandemic is the ultimate symbol for being out of balance. So if you can check in on those micro moments, as opposed to waiting for the big crash to happen, mm-hmm. you're kind of like constantly auto-correcting along the way. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you found a place where you were out of balance, out of line in this past year? And, and have you uh, managed to kind of, yes, yes. A hundred percent. I would, yeah, I think um, my out of balance came from like like you were or saying you do for now is just the way that I would talk to myself was not anywhere near that I would the way that I would talk to any of my friends. Like I, the belief in the the belief and the admiration that I have for the people around me is just like through the roof. But the conversations I have with myself and the, the narratives and the limiting talk is just like I wouldn't want to be around you. And I. I think I centered that too much in my life. Um, and then that created, whether that was insecurity, that created an overcompensation of ego. Um, it really, I really was able to just like, I think taking a step back from that and just like, I'm, I'm someone who I think I also needed an evolution where I've always been, my gift has always been giving my energy and giving my, empowerment or like my belief and like my my stamp of approval to people and just leading with all that and 
I think my the evolution of like not using that kind of led to me feeling not validated. Well, if I'm not in the center of things and I can't validate people, then what's the value I bring to the world? Then what am I actually contributing? And I think I had to love myself enough to understand that I was in process and to take a step back and to examine those things that were for myself. And for me, it has been to take a step back and to understand that I love my alone time. I love the thoughts that I have and the create the, the creativity that I have and the vision that I have and it's needed space and it's wanted space for the longest time. And I think that would always compete with my need for validation. So I think working of the self-validation and the understanding of like, yeah, just to be able to say like, I love spending time with myself and I love creating, I love giving myself some ideas and whether that's like making beats or like thinking of concepts and writing, um, I want to be with myself and I want to share more time with myself. And I think that shift has allowed me to release a lot of things, things that I felt I needed ownership over or I needed to have control over because my ego or like my fragility was not strong enough to handle just like, uh, you know, and in doing that, like abundance is available. Like now we can, things can scale, things can grow, things can be empowered. The platform can be given to many more people. And if we focus on doing that, more people eat, more people live, more people thrive. The world is a more inclusive place. There's more trust in it. And it is like a, yeah, like a thriving garden, a community. And so, yeah, I just want to keep, keep stepping into that. And I think what you keep talking about, which is centering it on others. I want to like take a quantum leap in centering others and, um, yeah, just use that. Cause when I, when I, when I place it in the belief of others, I really feel I'm fearless. And so I want to like use that as a, as my space and my inspiration. And it's okay if once in a while the spotlight's on you too, right? Like, is that something that you sure. can hold space for and cheerlead for yourself as well? Sure. Yeah. I think even that, even, yeah, even me saying sure right there, right? I saw your cheeks go red. I know. <laughs> I hit an- That was a practice for me to say, yeah, you know, cause I, cause I think I'm still working through those feelings of like my own self-belief and, and loving myself and having confidence in myself versus this, these, the idea of like humility, these ideas of like humility and being humble and like where, how that all interacts versus like, I don't need to like think, I don't need to break it down all so much and, and just like be in it. And like, yeah, at the end of the day, are you loving yourself? And how is that talk? And if it's yes, then yeah, we're gonna be in the spotlight and it'll be my duty and that spotlight will be there so that it can be platformed for others. Yeah, one of the first times I met you, you were holding a brilliant workshop at Sequoia Sunrise, which is an amazing gathering uh, of creativity and music and humans and beauty. And just watching you sort of like as the maestro of movement and connection and fun and dance and but still being the maestro, the conductor, that kind of like, you know, manage the flow and manage the experience and manage the learning through fun and dance and movement. It was one of my favorite memories of, of you, of watching you hold that space, use physical movement, use sense of humor, use your voice to command attention. All right, guys, now we're going to shift into this. And you shape-shifted mm-hmm. us and took us on all kinds of journeys and just held that space with a massive spotlight on yourself. And you you seem really comfortable in that space. So as a fellow performer, it's so cool to know that like we can be insecure and we can talk about those things. It's all right to have those kind of those wounds as well. 
Mm, thank you. Thank you for that. That's actually, I just had, as you were saying that, that is for me when I'm facilitating something, and this is what I tell people, like facilitating is what I really love to do. Like I absolutely. And the one thing I always tell people when it's facilitating is like, it's not about you. Like a really good facilitator can be familiar and like there but you're just the wheel grease. You're just greasing the wheels for the train that keeps moving. And you're like the easy, just like, oh, hey there, I trust you. So I'm going to do this. And they keep going and they get to their destination. And, and you're building trust and safety within that. And so, yeah, I think when, when I'm in those spaces, I feel that. And it's I, I want people to get to that space of freedom for themselves because you deserve that because everybody has that space because everybody's human experience and their own stories like that all deserves to be heard and have a space for us to learn from yeah and your story deserves to be heard and you know if you can remember that and make space for that i think yeah. that's a huge shift that can happen in yeah. the work you know like we want to know your story too for sure yeah your, cheek, your cheeks went red again i know i know <laughs> yeah i know this is this is the work it's the practice but i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely yeah i think this is the right the space that I'm in is continuing to practice that and I'm moving. That's my, that's my big thing I want to manifest in 2021 and bring to that. So. What's that? Can you articulate? It's just, um, I think, you know, being in the spotlight a little bit more, but I think my relationship with what that actually means, I think there's a lot of like, uh, that the way that that language plays and how I relate it in my head where, I think spotlight and I think like, oh, like divas or like stars or like, you know, and it's not like that. It's just you, you have this focus or you have this, you have people's attention or you have people's minds and hearts. So what are you doing with that? And how are, how are we sharing that? And just getting into that space. Get, it's not about you space. Can I do an exercise with you? Yeah, absolutely. I call this the rapper slash actress exercise yeah. just because yeah. i've often noticed like people that i really admire like when they get up to accept an award like they embody so many different elements they're a rapper they're an actress they're a designer they're an athlete and i'm just it's kind of made me realize that you can put a slash behind anything you want to be and keep adding to that list mm -hmm. so i'm asking mm -hmm. you for 2021 mm -hmm. what is your rapper slash actress list wow great question i love this question g this is fun um, I'm going to be a facilitator slash educator slash community leader slash host slash beat maker slash writer slash storyteller. We got pretty similar lists. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's the, yeah. I, I would say my list is pretty spot. Yeah. What is your, yeah. What is your rapper, rapper slash actor? Okay. So journalist, correspondent, um, host, um, guide, mm. Mm. um, performer, speaker, um, and master meditator. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah, that's my big goal for accomplishing in 2021 is to become a master meditator. And that's asking a Tasmanian devil, Gemini mm -hmm. monkey, to sit down for a second and go within. Yeah, how, where did that, how did that space create or come to? It's 
it's an understanding that I have that I'm super fired up and yang and go, go, go and manifesting being, but learning to play with magnetism and sitting back and drawing things to myself. It's something in my sort of magic that I've been playing with this year mm-hmm. is way more powerful and rewarding than like constantly going out and driving things to happen. And I think that may be tied to my older narrative of like having to prove myself and having to be seen and like convincing people that I'm worthy. But when you're coming from a place of self-worth, it's less about like convincing and more about sitting and being in in your worthiness and drawing to yourself all the things you need. And I think uh, a portal for me to access that is meditation as as challenging as it may be for me mm-hmm. do you have a meditation practice i have my meditation right now is running running um i've because i was uh i used to have a very strong meditation practice a few years ago and then i i whether that's i'm trying to think about right now or feel why it is that i don't meditate but i I feel like in the seasons of the way that my energy is, there's different ways in which I meditate where last year before pre-pandemic, like boxing was meditation. I know it sounds very, probably that's very anti to each other, but there's, um, I think the, the, when I had my meditation practice and yoga practice, the concept of like going, I did it during a very like hard, like traumatic time. And so going internal was the one time that I found solace throughout my day when I was actually practicing. And I think um, for me, it's now finding that in times where there might be like a physical stress or there might be uh, a stimulus or an external stimulus that's like stop or don't do this. And to be able to think that metaphor of, or that concept of being able to continue on and find the space in something because you know it's, it's it's good for you, it's building you up and there's, there's a space of creation within it, even though it might be physically unpleasant at times, or it might push you to find that stillness and to find that space in there. Um, yeah, I think it's like a, a very how there's like a very, uh, when I reach it, when I'm running or training, there is a very like, whoa, it's very still like I'm in the zone. It's a very in the zone. I'm in that flow and I'm connected to my like soul. I'm connected to like, I'm just like this like vertical alignment feels and it's just going. And so, I think that's how I am meditating right now. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. I think f- in the physical sense, right? I my one friend told me this as I was he was helping me train for a half marathon, which was just I'm sure you this is probably how everybody practices, but like starting slow. Like he was like your first mile should be your slowest mile. You know, and he's, you should be calibrating your body. You should be finding your rhythm and you should be like tuning in just like the, the things you would say, like where you should be right. Like as you get tired, like different ways to run, like you could run on your calves, you know, when you're feeling strong and if it starts to hurt, run from like the heel all the way to the ball of the foot, lengthen out your strides, you know, and like really, I think that, that, that piece of aligning and attuning. Um, and then once that's there, begin to like pick it up and go deeper because there's there's a space in which you're able to exist in sustainability for it um but yeah, i think i think that i think it just comes down to the the love of the, the thing and not letting the ego take over and just 
building building from a space of like love and health and like this works and then building up because that's the thing it's like you want it to be sustainable you want it to be something that benefits you and something that you keep returning to and if you kind of like if you make it unpleasant or if you're forcing something that's not flowing then you're not going to come back to it Mm -hmm. what is your yeah what would what would your what would your tip be for someone to be able to build up their meditation practice or to deepen it I think really find what works for you. And and so, for example, I'm noticing that after a run or after a big workout, once I've kind of expelled all that kind of jittery energy, that that's my access point. Or after a meal, after I eat dinner, I've noticed that's another portal for me. There's a, There's an opening there. So kind of like getting to know your circadian rhythms. It's like get to know your daily rhythms and and find out when the portals are there and, and try to work with those as opposed to the less natural mm. times, you know? I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, like for me, the times that I've tried to implement practices, I think I've been, t- and they didn't work, is when I'm too rigid with them, where there's an expectation of it has to be at this time or it has to be at this time, and then you miss a couple of those, and then the the expectation that you've set on it is now broken versus like, yeah, yeah. The idea of this feels good right now. Maybe this is a time that I can do it and, and really honoring that. Yeah. Like so many people have said to me, like when you first wake up, when you first get up when you first yeah. open your eyes and you first get out of bed, honestly, like the first thing that happens when I first wake up is I want to listen to drum and bass and I want to dance and I want to move. <laughs> yeah. Like I wake up with yeah. so much energy and yeah. so the idea of just like sitting still and like accessing my thoughts, like forget about it. Like I'm yeah. running shoes on, <laughs> drum and bass in my ears, out the door, yeah. you know. And then once I get that energy out that I've gathered throughout the night, then I'm like, okay, I can settle in. Um, but that's not textbook. And, and I think, you know, no doubt nothing I've ever done has been textbook. So finding what works for me has really just mm. been like the greatest thing. Mm, that's great. That's such a, that's such a, yeah. One thing that we're doing at, we're, we're on a cleanse right now. We're, um, this is our, we're second time on this cleanse in like the past six weeks, but it's essentially, yeah, we've eliminated. There's like no animal products, no, no butter, no bread, no car, like, uh, no, no soy, no process, no sugar outside of fruit and agave, no, no sodium outside of sea salt. And it's, been amazing it's been absolutely wonderful of like uh, like if you're talking about like tuning your body um of just being aware of what stimulus is and what what you respond to and why you want certain things and i think even that has been actually a meditative practice of just thinking about my relationship with eating and food also like the filipino culture is like so centered around food and family and that's how you build bonds that's how you show people you love them by eating and you just force people to eat like they come over and you give them more food right and this idea of like being able to untangle that and and examine that more of oh wow why do i want to eat or like why do i have to have this or and it's like gone as far as like thinking about that our american food system is so capitalistic you know that's why it's so unhealthy it's we want to make things the cheapest we want to inject it with certain flavors and preservatives so that they last longer they have these tastes and then people become addicted to these things and it's also the cheapest thing that they can buy it's what they can afford and for me to be able to like just take a step back from that and like whoa wait a minute like even my habits with food can be harmful 
you know, obviously, yep, 100% can be harmful to like, whether that's the environment to health, to like people's well-being or the conditions in which people are working or we're contributing to. And so, yeah, that just doing that more so than any of the, maybe the health benefits, that's been the, the most powerful thing about it. It's, it's been more of a, almost a spiritual practice. Yeah, that's so brilliant. I, I, it just got me thinking like one of the greatest gifts that this pandemic has given me, and there have been many, has been the ability to grow my own food and, mm. and gardening. That I would say has been like one of the first steps towards me slowing down and me going within and healing and understanding food the way that you're kind of like starting to deconstruct it when you start to grow your own food like that that is just sort of next level it it really helps you understand like you say the processes that food which is such a natural and you know very simple thing the processes it has to go through to get to people's dinner plates um are so out of line with really what our body needs and what our mm. communities need and what our planet needs yeah yeah i'm yeah, I'm I'm on this track, and I think after we finished it, it was it was the idea like I don't want this to just be a fad. And Alex was like, "Yeah, let's do it again." And going back on it, and I think I I wanted to go on it for another two weeks because I really wanted to just make sure that those practices or the mindsets were instilled even furthermore. And yeah, to be sustainable and just understanding that. And I next is like yeah, to grow food. That's next level. Even the yeah, the wonder, the wonder of like growing food in the relationship, even just like in the pandemic, I'm not really versed in plants, but getting plants and then like talking to them, like when I'm watering them and talking to them and then they actually respond and being like, well, this is, you know, seeing YouTube videos. And I'm like, yeah, talk to the plants and it, it works. I'm like, oh, this is, this is next level like relationship. Oh yeah. I, I think all, many of us, our relationship with plants have deepened. And I think as we take that forward, and how we raise our kids and how we feed ourselves and feed our communities, that that's a real key that was given to us. Um, I want to know, what is one thing that you are loving eating right now? And what is one thing that you really don't miss and you really wish you hadn't eaten so much of? Oh, that's a great question. What are we eating right now? So we we cook all our meals. So there's many things I love. So there's a couple of things. There's one that is a... Uh, it's called majestic garlic and so it's a it's this it's it's a sauce it's it's a dip from it's in whole foods and it's basically raw garlic with like cilantro and a little bit of oil and some um i think flaxseed there's, there's a little bit of calories in it but it is just pure garlic and it's a vessel for whatever we're eating so because we're it's very low on kind of like Adding, adding flavors this thing is so versatile so i just love eating that in terms of like whether i'm i can eat falafel so like dipping like a falafel or if i'm i can put it into like a stew or i can put it with pasta we can have brown rice pasta and like mixing in there or just like in a stir fry of vegetables and having all that and then the other thing that i've just absolutely loved is there's no caffeine either so I haven't had coffee in a, I had one coffee in between and I was like, ah, coffee's okay. Even the concept of caffeine, which I, I used to drink a lot of coffee before we started. And, um, the one thing I've been eating a lot of is cacao. So I have cacao wafers and cacao nibs and the ability to feel the energy from the cacao when I, when I eat it and 
the cleanliness, the cleanliness of what it feels like in my system and the, and the focus is, is just like blown my, blown my perception of like, whoa, what is caffeine doing in my body? Like what exactly happens when I take caffeine versus this natural superfood? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And did you go through withdrawals when you stopped drinking coffee? Um, I did in the beginning of the first three weeks and then I had one Thai coffee like oh, in between the break and I didn't, it was not a good choice yet. <laughs> it was not, it was just like, yeah, let's drink this, one of the strongest coffees you can drink. And I was just like, whoa, caffeine's too much. And I mean, I, I enjoy the flavor of coffee, but, um, even the relationship on it was very, it was a dependent rich. It was almost like a ritual of getting coffee that I enjoyed. And when I used to live in Long Beach, I used to love going to the coffee shop. So I associated a lot of that with it. And so I'm just looking to, to, to break that down even more of, you know, what are other ways that I can receive this or in, appreciate coffee? I think the idea, one conversation we're having is like, uh, like, why do you appreciate a food as opposed to you want to eat it? But why are you appreciating it? And I think just changing that, just that little bit of like, I have to have it, you know, like, ah, versus like, when I have this, I'm going to appreciate it, you know, and then there's that space to appreciate it and get back to the things that are feel good, that are healthy, that are that are upkeeping my body so that I can do the work that I want to be doing in my life. Yeah, it's kind of like conscious emailing, it's conscious eating, you know, mm. as opposed to just like jamming a bunch of things into your mouth and chugging something and yeah. thinking that's what I need to feel myself, but to like consciously eat and to really think about what it is you're eating and how it is impacting you and what you really could do without. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Cause I've, I've been such a, yo I've, my weight has always been yo-yo over the years, just whether that's like when I'm working out and then there's, I just love food. And then, but now I feel like as I'm getting older and like, yeah, like getting into this age, I'm, I want to make it sustainable and I want to like make it for the rest of my life. So just finding those ways that that fits. Oh man, I'm super inspired. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Gee, you should be a reporter. <laughs> yes. Such a great question. <laughs> oh, yes. And it all Thank started so with wanting attention. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You just dropped that in and I was like, sure, gee, I'll answer that. Thank you though. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been yeah. a blast. Yeah, this is so much fun. I'm, I'm going to, can I just ask you a last question? Last couple solversations questions, just the wonder questions that we have. I'm just gonna ask you quick questions. What is one ingredient you think every person should have in their kitchen? Herb de Provence. Oh, it's just like a for? mixture of herbs, uh, yeah. and I just I add it to everything, like an omelet or a pasta sauce or a quinoa abundance bowl or whatever. Like Herb de Provence is my go-to mixture of herbs. Awesome. If you could live in any other time period what would it be late 60s early 70s mm, just i could see you living yeah, in that space that freedom or that yeah like concept of freedom that was explored at that time and um yeah, yeah I, I really would have loved that yes okay who is somebody in your life right now just think of somebody right now in your life that you appreciate so much and just have a lot of love for and then just give them a few sentences of gratitude right now. I mean, I don't have to think too hard. That's my best friend, yeah. Mark. He's my, mm. he's my everything. He's my brother, my co-creator, my business partner, my best friend, 
my twin flame. He's my everything. And and oh, this yeah. year would have been so much more challenging and um, difficult if I didn't have him by my side. So I'm most grateful. What is one project that you all did that you really appreciated and are thankful for this year? Mark and I have been doing shadow work together this year. Mm. And I'm really grateful for that. And it's a self project, you know, but it's really we've opened up space to talk about things and help each other face shadow in ways that are just so transformative. And remember that word trust, you know, that's mm-hmm. something that I don't grant easily. And it's just to have someone in my life that I trust so much that I'm able to share my deepest, darkest, ugliest moments with and to be still loved and accepted and still appreciated. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. I love it. I love it. And then lastly, just your wish or your message for anybody that's listening right now. Think of her, think of, think of the planet, get to know her in a way that's so different than how you think you know her, you know, get to know mother earth, really look at her as a living organism, as a grandmother, as the most generous being that you'll ever encounter and yeah, change your relationship with her. I'm going to do that. Thanks, G. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Grow some tomatoes. You got space for it. We're going to, yeah, we were talking about doing planter boxes. We, we have so much for space in the backyard. All right. I'm going to talk. I'm literally going to go out into the front after this and tell Alex that we need to, we need to grow something. Yay. All right. Brilliant. Yes. G. Thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. And I got to say, you're really good at this. You're really good. Asking questions, creating space Uh, and like, yeah, what an honor. Podcast.